This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club. You've heard me talk about Cog Hill every single episode this season, and we will continue to do so because they are one of the premier golf destinations in the Chicagoland area. Featuring 72 holes of championship golf, including the world-famous Dubs Dread, Cog Hill has just upgraded their entire practice academy to include Top Tracer, two bars, a food truck, and a full family experience that anyone will enjoy. Go out to coghillgolf.com to learn more. We are also brought to you by our friends over at WorldwideGolfShops.com. If you're looking to upgrade your game this year, or if you're just trying to pick up some new pieces of golf apparel, or even some training aids to help you score better, WorldwideGolfShops.com has you covered. The best part about this website is they always offer incredible deals on some of the newest equipment, even just days after its release. Once again, it's WorldwideGolfShops.com. Welcome to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for all things golf, including in-depth interviews, new equipment highlights, and answers to golf questions you might be too afraid to ask. My goal? To help you learn more about the game so you can enjoy it even more. Let's dive in. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can find me all over social media at GolfUnfiltered. You can send me an email, adam at GolfUnfiltered.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've had a great golf season. I know many of you listening to this in the warmer states are still out there playing a ton of golf, which is great for you. It's actually been unseasonably warm here uh, in the Chicagoland area, and I think it actually reached 70 degrees today. I'm actually playing golf tomorrow with a friend of the podcast, Chris McEwen. He's been on the show many times, and we've done a uh, podcast together called Golf Stories, where I talk a little bit about the anonymous Twitter user, Secret Tour Pro. You can find that on GolfAndFilter.com under the podcast's link at the top of the page. And uh, aside from that, though, in the world of professional golf, well, Live Golf has finished their first season. Uh, The PGA Tour is in Mayakoba. And uh, other than that, there's really not a whole lot going on. Where there is a lot going on, though, is the world of social media. And uh, this episode, it might not be for everybody, I understand that. I'm not sure how many of you actually frequent social media, specifically Twitter, but uh, if you do, as I do, we're going to talk all about the new owner of Twitter and what it might mean for not only Golf and Filtered's uh, continued presence on that platform, but essentially Golf Twitter in general. So earlier last week at the time of this recording at least, I wrote an article about uh, golf Twitter during the Elon Musk era. And if you've been hiding under a rock, you uh, probably have not heard that Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter. He paid $44 billion to own uh, what is arguably the most engaging open source social media network in the world. 
I have not looked to see if Twitter has uh, overtaken Facebook. I'd imagine it has not, although uh, Facebook is definitely on the decline in many ways. But um, I am very active on Twitter. I know many of my listeners are. I've met uh, many of you on uh, Twitter, many of my friends in golf, especially golf media. I met originally on Twitter. So when news breaks of an ownership change and uh, someone as colorful and and outgoing, I guess, to put it nicely, as Elon Musk is the person that actually buys the social network, well, it piques my interest a little bit, to say the least. In that article, I talk a lot about really the insignificant amount that golf Twitter plays into the larger Twitter atmosphere or stratosphere or environment. There are many of us who lovingly call our interactions about professional golf and golf equipment and all things golf, quote-unquote, golf Twitter. For those of you that do use Twitter, you've probably seen a lot of chatter during golf tournaments, especially around the majors and the Ryder Cup and President's Cup and you know stuff like that. It actually enhances the, uh, the production of what we're watching. It, it's, it's almost like you're watching it with a group of friends or a bunch of annoying neighbors who like to poke jokes all the time, which is, truth be told, something that I like to do a lot on Twitter. Now, just to kind of set the stage as far as where I think all of this even matters uh, in relation to not only what we do here at Golf Unfiltered, but also in the larger landscape. First things first, Golf Unfiltered, uh, I started an account called Golf Unfiltered on Twitter in 2009. It's been 13 years. I can't even believe it myself since that time. And uh, there have been some highs and lows. (laughs) And I will say this. Uh, over the course of those 13 years, you know, we've amassed, uh, at least last time I checked, 11,000 and some odd followers, which it's not a huge number compared to a lot of other accounts that you may well know, but it's also not the smallest. I'd like to say that we're somewhere towards the middle of the pack. That being said, Twitter, at least in terms of social media, is our largest audience. We have the most followers on our social media accounts on Twitter. TikTok is slowly creeping up to be number two, and then we also have an Instagram, and we had a Facebook for a long time, but uh, over the course of the years, we decided to no longer be on Facebook for many reasons. Now, there are other accounts on Twitter, especially in the golf space, that do a really, really good job and have many, many followers. Of course, the big ones that we all know, No Laying Up is probably the the first one that comes to mind. I don't know how many followers they have, but I know it's in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, There are other large publications that we all know about. Golf Digest, Golf Week, Golf Magazine, when that was still a major component to how you ingested golf news. They all have a lot of followers. They're also verified accounts, which I'll get to here in a little bit. Why does all of this matter if we're talking about a sport that takes place outdoors and seemingly a time for us to put our phones away and to put our devices away and not focus on things like social media. Well, by now, in the year of 2022, uh, the answer to that should be pretty obvious. There are a lot of advertisers that work with Twitter. There's a lot that happens on that platform. 
keep in mind, this was not the original purpose of Twitter. When that started many years ago, it was essentially a microblogging website. And if you're wondering what that is, well, think of it as basically people logging on and telling us, well, this is what I'm doing today. Remember that old tired adage, especially when sites like MySpace and and Facebook started? I don't care what people are doing for lunch today. Well, that's essentially how people used Twitter in the beginning. But as with most things, it evolved over time. And eventually, to come full circle, Golf Twitter was born. And that is a place that, for the most part, I will say, is a relatively fun place to be. Yes, with the you know surgeons of live golf and, and a lot of the drama that goes around that, as well as some of the bickering between players and journalists and what have you. It's become a little bit more toxic, I think, to put it lightly. But that's pretty much the same thing that can be said for all of Twitter, which leads us to why Elon Musk got involved in the first place. Now, I go into much more detail in the article on golfunfiltered.com. You'll find it right there on the homepage, you know, if you go there in the next couple of weeks. And Elon Musk, uh, being who he is, uh, the world's richest man right now, he also joined Twitter in 2009. And truth be told, some of his first tweets were pretty mundane. They were talking about what he was having for lunch that day and what he was doing out in on the town or whatever he was doing. It was, it was pretty, pretty simple stuff. But much like all of us who have used the app for a long time, his engagement and what he did on Twitter also started to change. It almost kind of matured or at least evolved from those very simple beginnings. And eventually, like many other people, he recognized the reach, the power, and the engagement that exists on that platform. Now, in his case, he has a lot of things to sell. Tesla, he was talking about his SpaceX explorations uh, for a long time and many other business ventures, and he wasn't the only one. Pretty much anybody who was anyone and any brand that was worth a damn They also had Twitter accounts. They would also advertise. They would market to people like you and me. And by the way, golf brands are no different. They are very active on social media. I remember the early days when uh, players who are in many ways brands themselves would be highly engaging on Twitter. Bubba Watson comes to mind. I believe he was one of the first uh, few famous people in the sports world at least, that had millions of followers, primarily because he actually spoke to people. He engaged in conversation. Twitter is one of those things that, for the first time ever, you could actually reach out and talk to celebrities, to the people that you see on television, and they would respond to you in real time. That was was crazy at that point. Ian Poulter and all his faults, and I've not been very shy on what I feel about that guy, He was another person that did interact a lot in the golf space with people on Twitter. So it was a new thing. And then as brands started to see players doing that, at least in the golf space, they started doing it. Callaway, very engaging. Srixon, um, 
there's a number of others that I'm forgetting right now, but uh, Koba Puma is another one. Uh, Bridgestone, certainly another one. Mizuno, they're beginning to become more engaging over the course of the years. The point being, customers and consumers now had a direct line to brands and celebrities and professional athletes like they've never had before. Elon Musk knew this. He saw the value in Twitter. He was an active participant in its growth. And fast forward to now, he owns the damn thing. Well, why did he want to buy Twitter? Well, a simple answer could be everything that I just said. The immense value that it brings. Is it worth $44 billion? I have no idea. I have no idea. That was essentially what Elon, uh, as my understanding and everyone's understanding, is that's what he offered per share. Um, uh, that's what it total, I should say. I think it was like 50 something dollars per share. And there are far smarter people than me that can talk to you uh, about valuation for these types of things. But at the end of the day, that was one particular reason why he might want this thing. Now, the New York Times, and if you haven't heard their daily podcast called The Daily, uh, it's really good. And, um, you know, not every day is something that I would say you need to listen to, but they recently did a reaction episode, I think it's safe to say, about Elon Musk buying Twitter. And in it, they actually run down this timeline of Elon's experience on Twitter. And, you know, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of politics and everything, but Elon, if you've paid attention to what he says, not only on Twitter, but also in the news and basically any other time he talks, he likes to go back and forth on a lot of things. And his political preferences, they're no exception to that. He's very liberal one day, he's very conservative another day, and everything in between. But in recent years, he started leaning in a certain direction. And one of the outlets, and this is all according to the New York Times, one of the outlets that he really enjoyed reading was this thing called the Babylon Bee. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, uh, you may be familiar with a website that is very similar to it called The Onion. The Onion is a satirical website that uh, really no holds barred on any topic in the world, and they just write joke articles that, in many ways, the art of satire is driving a point home to the masses while trying to be humorous. It's not for everybody, but the Babylon Bee was essentially the conservative version of that. And I shouldn't say was, it's still around. But what I can say is that Elon became a very big fan of this publication. And then in 2022, this year, earlier this year, I believe in April, the Babylon Bee Twitter account was banned. And the reason for that, you can look up on Google, I won't go into too much detail here, but essentially they made what was deemed a transphobic joke, and that violated Twitter's uh, terms of use. You know, they're, they're content regulations, whatever you want to say. Well, Elon doesn't like that. And so he would later go on Twitter and say, you know what? If they're going to do that, maybe I'll buy Twitter. And then everything kind of just cascaded from there. Hey, look, guys, uh, 
butting in really quick here just to remind you that on 11-11, November 11th of this year, Trolls Golf Club, a new partner with the Golf and Filtered Podcast, they're having their first mint of troll NFTs that you can buy. They have two levels. They've got the basic and they got the premium. And it's going to allow you access to some of the best golf courses anywhere. They were on the podcast talking all about it. Go to trollsgolfclub.com to learn a little bit more. Let them know that you heard about it from the GU podcast. They're going to give you an exclusive free gift. And yeah, it helps out the podcast as well. Trollsgolfclub.com. Go check them out. All right, let's go back to me babbling. So at a high level, we are now seeing, again, the world's richest man want to just buy this platform where hundreds of millions of people use every day and they they visit every day, at least according to the New York Times, because he didn't like the way something was being done. Now, how many of us, let's be honest, how many of us have had similar thoughts before? Wow, I really don't like how this company is operating. I would not have decided that that way on that thing. God, if I was the owner of that thing, I would run things differently. Of course, none of us have that capacity or the means to do that. But Elon Musk does. Now, we all know, of course, if you've paid attention to his acquisition of Twitter, it wasn't a, a straightforward process. He actually tried to back out of it. Then Twitter sued him, saying, no, you, you actually have to do this now. And Elon eventually realized, well, I'm not going to win that lawsuit. So, yeah, let's do this. So, with all of that backstory, and if you've stuck with this episode to this point... You're probably wondering, well, what the hell does this have to do with golf Twitter? And in many instances, it probably isn't going to change anything on how you personally interact with people on Twitter. What it will do is, perhaps, if we're to believe and use examples in the first few days of Elon's reign as Twitter owner as an example... It's going to bring a lot of people and accounts back on to the platform who are essentially just awful, awful trolls. Now, I don't know, I don't know if anyone knows, how many of these accounts are real. In fact, that was one of the sticking points that Elon tried to use to get out of the deal. He thought that there were so many fake accounts or bots on Twitter. He's like, look, there's no possible way that what I thought the value of this was could be real due to this reason. I know that I am oversimplifying that to an, to the nth degree, so please forgive me. Journalism and flat-out misinformation. There's that, that term that's been floating around for the last few years. Misinformation is a big deal. It is a huge deal. Especially... If you just so happen to be a billionaire that bought a platform where advertisers want to be and account for 90% of your revenue. Advertisers are not going to stay on Twitter if they see it become what Elon Musk has already said it will not become, which is some sort of hellscape. I'm not so sure about that, Elon. Because again, 
it's no coincidence that when he took over, the, the mountain of accounts that just started saying things that you would never say to somebody in, you know, face-to-face, and if you would, well, you're just an awful, awful creature. There's no coincidence that that happened. Now, let's take a step back. I understand and welcome different points of view, not only on this topic, but pretty much any topic. Doesn't mean that I agree with you. Doesn't mean that you agree with me. But one thing I think we need to mutually agree on, no matter where we stand on certain issues, it's that mutual respect for the other person that you're conversing with, or at least throwing things out into the ether in the form of Twitter, that should probably be the baseline, right? Now, it should also be stated that people saying stupid shit on the internet is nothing new. (laughs) I mean, I was essentially raised on the internet. Um, I've had it for the majority of my life, and the entire time there have been things like trolls and just god-awful things that you could find on the internet. It's still there. I mean, uh, you all know what I'm talking about. You probably have experiences uh, that you are thinking about in hearing that. So none of that is new. What is new is this push to try to regulate and to constrain it and to uh, not allow it to go crazy like it has on many platforms. And that is something that we should strive for. So to get back to golf. Golf Twitter as we know it, where it's just a bunch of dummies like you and me going back and forth at each other, perhaps saying a few things about our players that we're watching on TV and this Live Golf PGA Tour stuff. Trust me, I do it all the time. Those of you who follow me know that I do. That will likely remain unchanged. And if it does remain unchanged, or at least remains the same for the most part, then perhaps this is much ado about nothing. Where we may run into some issues is if we have multiple accounts impersonating other accounts. That's just one of the issues. I'm sure there's a laundry list of others, but that's one that we'll talk about today. Now, the reason that this is an issue should be obvious. I mean, if you've got someone going around masquerading as Tiger Woods uh, and they're not Tiger Woods, well, that could lure, that could get somebody into a lot of trouble, especially if you are the real Tiger Woods. This is also true for brands, and at a much lesser scope, websites and podcasts like the one that you're listening to right now. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. So about two years ago, it was just at the beginning of COVID, when everyone was kind of stuck indoors um, and uh, things were closing up everywhere, um, I received a message from a... uh, person I know in the business, in golf, uh, who will remain anonymous, because I did not get their permission to share this, but uh, they informed me of a website called Golf Unfiltered. Just so happened to be in Las Vegas. In fact, they also had a Twitter account called Golf Unfiltered. They also had a particular LV at the end of it, but 
that raised a couple eyebrows, especially here in GUHQ. And there's this other element of Twitter that I've not even touched on too much yet, and that's verification. If you look online on Twitter and you see all those, uh, everyone calls them blue check marks, but <laughs> this group chat I'm on actually reminded us, no, it's actually a white check mark with a uh, blue background, which is hilarious. Um, but all these names of verified accounts have that digital symbol next to their name. The purpose of that thing is not for clout as much as it is to let people know they are the people or brand or entity that they say that they are. They are the official one. Now, over the last couple of years, Twitter has actually added additional badges. For example, if it's a, a politician, for example, they might have right underneath their name kind of grayed out. It's actually kind of hard to see. It says political uh, representative of whatever district, for example, just, just to give you some sense of context here. That's essentially the only way that accounts are verified to be who they say they should be. Now, the Golf Unfiltered Twitter account is not verified. That whole process has always been very confusing. And truth be told, that's actually one of the points that Musk makes um, regarding Twitter and how he wants to change things for the better. And these are one of the things that I actually agree with him on. For those who don't know, the Twitter verification process, at least the way that it was, it was an application process that you went into your settings on your account, you actually filled out the application, it asked you to do a couple things, and if you met certain criteria, you would earn that little verification badge. I've tried to do that multiple times for Golf and Filtered. They have their reasons why they didn't award that to me, which seemed a little weird, because... Golf Unfiltered is a business. It's a small business, but it's a business nonetheless. And in instances when there are other accounts who have names very similar to yours, the verification could be pretty helpful, no matter your size. So the other thing about that verification process is uh, it was awarded or eligibility was determined uh, very inconsistently across the board. So just to kind of close the loop on that story I was telling you about, we went back and forth, and perhaps I may do a podcast episode on it, uh, or, or maybe not. I don't I don't need any of that legal trouble in my, my life. Uh, but long story short, that guy, the person behind it, was um, notorious for finding websites and names that were similar to what he wanted to do and then he would piggyback off the names and blah 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 so probably an exception to the rule but maybe not because we see it all the time we see fake accounts pop up everywhere and so all of that to ask you all a question and if you want, you could respond to me on Twitter or you can respond to me uh, via email, whatever you, you, you wish to do. What is most important to you when it comes to getting accurate information? Is it information that you want to hear? Is it information that you agree with? Or is it accurate information, even if it goes against what you believe? You see, when we talk about this landscape 
of social media, which I have said many times, I believe to be one of the worst things in the world. For Social media would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people, honestly. I think over the course of human history, we have proven time and again that we can't have nice things. We don't know how to use them. It's almost, not to be overly pessimistic here, but it's almost destined to turn into some sort of shit show where everybody gets mad at everybody else. It's almost like it's in our nature. On the flip side of that, there's a lot of good that has come out of social media. I can't, I can't not admit that. You all probably have examples of that, whether it be connecting with long-lost friends, uh, um, family members, staying in touch with family, perhaps even you know, closing a business deal or starting a business, earning an income. Hell, I'll even say I have earned money from business dealings that I have started and closed via social media. So not everything is bad. It's just the bad stuff that seems to rise to the top that captures our attention the most. Doesn't it feel like that stuff should be regulated in some way? Now, I have no idea what's going to happen with Twitter in the Elon Musk era. As I've already said a few times, I think golf Twitter is going to be okay insofar as it's going to stay a bunch of us just bickering back and forth and and watching golf tournaments together. What I'm not confident in, and I hope that I am wrong, I genuinely hope that I'm wrong, is are we going to be able to trust that the accounts saying what they're saying are the actual accounts saying it? That is a huge issue. As much as you may love or hate social media, one thing is certain. It has massive influence on our society right now. I don't care if you've never sent a single tweet. I don't care if you've never posted anything on Facebook. The fact of the matter is this. Hundreds of millions of people around the world are on these platforms talking to one another, planning things, and I think... We've all seen what can happen when all of that goes the wrong way. Elon Musk just inherited all of this for $44 billion. And one of the big things that he's always talked about is is free speech. I've already said what I needed to say regarding what free speech is and what it isn't. But I can't get over the, I don't know, I I worded it as dissonance in the article I referenced. I can't get over the dissonance of the richest man in the world buying a platform and wanting to preach free speech on it. That is some dystopian shit if I've ever heard it. Think about that for a second. Does that bring you comfort? It doesn't for me. Especially not when he starts talking about verification. People proving that they are who they say they are. 
to protect the accuracy of the information that they're saying, that that's going to cost $8 a month now. Well, this episode has kind of uh, just tangentially touched on golf. And um, if you stuck with it, I appreciate it. I always appreciate everyone that listens to this. If you couldn't tell, I'm a little nervous about how this thing's going to go with Twitter. And I will say this. um, As I said in the article, and perhaps as I already said in this episode, Golf Unfiltered is going to stay on the platform of Twitter for as long as it makes sense to do so. I interact with most of you on there. I've always invited you to contact me via any outlet, including email. Many of you do. Continue to do so, please. It's it's fun to talk to each of you. But if that thing goes down the tubes, and look, I I have no place for hate speech. I have no place for a a platform that's going to cater to that and allow it and not regulate it in any way. I. I'll cancel the golf and filtered account without a second thought that I promise because there's just no reason to be on there. There are many other ways for people to reach out and look, some of you might be listening to this and thinking, you know what? That's the dumbest move I could make. Uh, I'm sorry. That's just, (laughs) that's, I don't know if it's my morals or what, but I can't, I can't support a place that openly just allows it to fester And again, I hope I'm wrong in all this. I hope that Elon acts like an adult with $44 billion and does something good with it and actually treats it like an investment that, you know what, you can't make it become a hellscape, which is something that he said he will prevent. And I hope he's right. I hope he's right. Let me know your thoughts on the whole thing. Adam at golfandfilter.com is the email. Reach out to me on social, including Twitter, at golfunfiltered everywhere. I do uh I do encourage you to go to TikTok. Um lot of lot of good engagement there. You've heard me talk about it a lot of times. Go out there, find us at golfunfiltered, ask questions there. I love making those little videos. Um it's fun, it's a cool platform, and uh there's a lot of new golfers on there that just want to learn the game. So that's that's a fun thing for me, and I know it's, uh, at least it sounds like it's fun for them, too. Thanks, as always, for listening. Be kind to one another, and I think we'll get through this together. Take care, folks.